Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. I suppose if you're like most people, maybe even everybody, you probably don't like being in the middle. But you know what? Today, we are in the middle. And the middle is where we really want to be. If we understand well enough what being in the middle means, at least in the sense of the church, our liturgical calendar, theology, and this great season of the fast, the Lenten spring, we are at the midpoint of Lent, which is the third Sunday of Lent, and we put in the middle of the church, in many Eastern churches, the cross. And we venerate that cross. We bow before that cross. We hold it up. We decorate it richly. Being in the middle, actually, is, as I mentioned, right where we really want to be. In fact, that is where life is lived most correctly, most harmoniously. I'm going to use a different kind of term for being in the middle. I'm going to call it living in the both and. It's one of my favorite phrases, to live in the both and, because It is very much the genius of our faith, the faith both Western and Eastern, actually, Catholic and Eastern Catholic or Orthodox. In particular, though, the Eastern churches have a real flair for living in the both and, as opposed to being compartmentalized or living in the either or. That's very much where our culture lives, unfortunately. They live in the either or. It's liberal versus conservative, Republican versus Democrat, winners and losers, man versus woman, who's right, who's wrong. And in our area here of the Lady Studios, the most incredible, uncompromising dichotomy of all, are you a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan? Now, this is actually living in a rather neurotic way rather than a balanced way or integrated way. In the Eastern churches, in a day like today, in particular, the Sunday of the Veneration of the Cross, we experience and immerse ourselves really in this mystery of the both and. Think of all the different dimensions of our faith and how it's expressed that are reminiscent of this both and. This is a very significant principle because living in the both and, as I mentioned, is living in reality. It's living in a spiritual balance, in a kind of a wholesomeness and integration. Think of God himself. In fact, this is precisely where a lot of the Christian heresies came about, by not living in the both and. They couldn't figure out how can one person be two natures? 
And how can those two natures be divine and human at the same time? They have to be either or, one more than the other. It seems as though our human brain, our fallen human soul and psyche, wrestles with this idea of living the both and. Where you just kind of exist where two complementary things intersect. And you live that mystery. You don't try to dissect or figure them out. You can define both of them, but you don't separate them out. God is both God and man. Pure spirit, yet incarnated flesh. Not either or. And that makes all the difference in the world. Understanding God incarnationally is the key to everything. How about even the way that that faith is expressed in the Eastern churches? Take the architecture itself. We combine a symbol of the earth with a symbol of heaven. That's why you have in the Eastern churches, the architecture oftentimes uses arches and domes because those are shapes that are created by intersecting a four-sided structure, like a cube, representing the four corners of the earth, even though the earth is round, with a dome, which represents the bending down of the heavens by God through his incarnation. Put a dome together with a cube, and you've created shapes like arches and circles and very sweeping arches. And these are the characteristics of many Eastern-style churches. Eastern churches look the way they do because the architecture is living in the both end. Now, we step inside that church, and we see a separation, oftentimes, between the nave and the sanctuary. Now, this separation is, at the same time, a connection. See, once again, both and. It's not just separation. This separation is called an icon screen. And the icon screen separates our view, our way, into the sanctuary, which represents the Holy of Holies, or heaven. But at the same time, it reveals, it connects us with heaven itself. So it does both things, not either or. Yes, it blocks our way, yet reveals or opens our way all at the same time. I know we struggle with this because we seem to always want to live either or. I guess maybe it's easier for our finite minds. Maybe it's just the fallen side of us. But the truth is lived as our art and architecture tells us in the both and. The very altar upon which we offer the sacrifice of the Eucharist is an altar that is both physical, but at the same time it becomes spiritual. In fact, we refer to the spiritual table as though that physical thing that still remains physical at the same time takes on a spiritual dimension. I mean, it really does. So it's existing in the both and. The very altar that we celebrate on exists in the both and at liturgy. During liturgy itself, it's a union of heaven and earth. We're not just in a church on earth. We're in a church on earth that unites itself in a very real way, a mystical way, with heaven. So it's heaven and earth, or heaven on earth. How about the Eucharist itself, one of the ultimate symbols and realities of the both and? Physical substance, the bread, the wine, the water. Yet at the same time, truly the presence of Christ, God present in the bread the wine, the water. They become the body of Christ. Yet somehow, mystically, miraculously, mysteriously, they remain what we know to be food items, bread, wine. Otherwise, we would not be able to take them in to our bodies. And hey, what about our bodies, our persons? We are both spirit and matter, not just spirit, not just matter. We are body and soul, not just soul, not just body. That's why I like to say, 
God did not come to earth to save souls. We're not in the business of saving souls. We're in the business of really saving persons. Yeah, the soul comes first. The soul gets saved first as it passes on into eternal life at death. But the body will be reunited with that soul, will be whole persons again. So our whole person is destined to be saved, not just one part of us. We are created between loftiness and lowliness, as we say in the funeral services in the Byzantine church. We are both saint and sinner, image and likeness. God, when we speak of God, he is both righteous judge and lover of mankind, not either or. And if we make him one or the other, we start to get into a heresy or just an imbalanced, incorrect perception of God, which then our behavior towards God and towards life, towards humanity, follows. And that would follow incorrectly with the incorrect idea of God. God is the righteous judger and the lover of mankind. But God is also a being that, yes, loves us, but his love is at the same time his wrath. In other words, it's not like God loves us and one day he gets mad at us and punishes us. His love is his wrath. His wrath is his love. In other words, he loves us so much that he allows us to make choices that can estrange us from him and perish the thought, but he does allow it. Why? Because he's mean? That becomes, in a sense, in a manner of speaking, I'll put it in quotes, his wrath. Yeah, God does have a wrath. But his wrath is at the same time his love. Now, we have a hard time with that. How can being angry be at the same time love? Well, those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Wrath may not be pleasant, but it can come out of a deep sense of love of the parent. In fact, if a parent does not get angry with a child for good reason, that could be a sign the parent does not really love that child. The child doesn't think so. Little kids will say, Mommy, Daddy, you hate me, or I hate you because you won't let me do this, or you discipline me. No, they won't let you do it precisely because they love you. And God is the same way. But he allows us, though, that free will never takes that gift away. And that free will, therefore, can become, in a manner of speaking, God's wrath. He allows us to disobey him, to end up where we chose to be. And that's without him, all because of his love. Now, when we come back, we're going to look at how living in the both and is expressed in today's very special Sunday, the midpoint of Lent, the Sunday of the veneration of the Holy Cross. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, and I invite you to join me on the Light of the East pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs east and west. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires and 
you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the church the same way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed, unity in the church between East and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime, the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces, reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host on this marvelous midpoint of Lent where we live and immerse ourselves in the mystery of the both and as we venerate the cross. Before we go any further, I want to mention something that is some very happy news. You may have heard about this. A special Vatican panel has approved a miracle attributed to Archbishop Fulton Sheen's intercession. That's right. It happened in Peoria, Illinois, not too far from our studios here at Light of the East. It happened to be about a little baby who was miraculously healed. And the panel did take a very significant step in the cause for the beatification and canonization of beloved Bishop Fulton Sheen, a priest of Peoria and son of the heartland, who went on to change the world through his gifts, especially in media. And the miracle puts him that much closer to hopefully becoming canonized as a saint. Now, one of the reasons why this is significant for us here at Light of the East is, first of all, on a personal note, I've always admired Bishop Sheen, grew up watching him on TV when I was a child, but also because we're involved in media, of which he, of course, made tremendous, tremendous strides, opened the door wide open for Catholic media. And thirdly, because proud to say, my own eparchy, the eparchy of Parma, under our bishop, Bishop John Kudrick, was part of the committee to push for the canonization of Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. In fact, our bishop put together a wonderful exhibit. It was a traveling exhibit about Bishop Fulton J. Sheen and his life. A very impressive exhibit. And one more reason. When our Byzantine liturgy was celebrated in this country, especially early on when the immigrants from Central Europe came bringing their Byzantine church, the liturgy was always celebrated in the mother tongue of our church, which is Church Slavonic. It'd be like an ancient Russian, something like that. Not exactly, but something like that. It's the mother tongue of the Slavic languages called Slavonic. We call it Church Slavonic because we use it in church. But eventually, in about 1965, our divine liturgy was translated into English. And the very first celebration of our Byzantine liturgy in English, in America, was celebrated by Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. He had biritual faculties, so he was a Latin Rite bishop, but he also could function in the Byzantine Rite. And so he actually celebrated our very first English Byzantine liturgy in America. So for a whole lot of reasons, we're very happy 
that his cause for canonization has taken a big step forward, and we continue to pray for that cause. Now, we've taken a big step forward in our journey of Lent on this third Sunday of Lent, this midpoint of Lent, where we live in the both end. During this time, we sing over and over again the Byzantine Church, we bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. We bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. Notice how we put the two things together? We never focus just on the cross itself, because the cross is incomplete without some hint or mention of the resurrection. In fact, In the icon of the crucifixion, the body of Christ is painted in such a way where there isn't a lot of blood, there isn't a lot of indication of the physical suffering of Christ. There is definitely indication, but it's rather understated. And the eyes of Christ are painted in such a way as to appear as though he's asleep or almost waking up. In other words, they're not totally closed, tight as though he were completely dead. The idea behind this particular portrayal of Christ on the cross in Byzantine iconography is to point to, to hint at the resurrection. That's right. Even the way he is on the cross is already hinting that there is something else to this event. It's not finished yet. It is ordered towards his ultimate victory over the cross, his resurrection. And that's one of the reasons why we will also sing. We bow to your cross and we praise your holy resurrection. If you think for a moment, let's make a parallel. If we were to translate the cross into today's standards, you know how you wear crosses? How many ways do we make crosses? How many different sizes? There are necklaces, there are large crosses, there are big crucifixes. They're made of gold, they're made of stone, they're made of silver, they're made of all kinds of materials. It's just, we can go on and on and on about how we make and adorn the cross in all ways, shapes, and sizes, a manner of beauty. If we were to translate that today, it would be taking uh, something like a hangman's noose, an electric chair, a guillotine, a, uh, an axe, Anything that be used to kill someone, anything used in capital punishment, and adorning it with gold and wearing it around our neck and venerating it. Sound absurd? Well, that's basically what the cross is, or what it was. It was an instrument of torture, of shame, and of a horrific death, just like instruments of death today. It was an instrument of capital punishment, but a humiliating, terrible capital punishment. So, of course, we don't wear guillotines or hatchets or electric chairs around our necks today. And the cross is no longer that symbol of something horrible, but it becomes something wonderful. It keeps its same shape. It's still the same shape upon which people were crucified. Yet, at the same time, it becomes this symbol of victory, this beautiful thing that we make beautiful and we bow before it. What was a sign, an instrument of death, of defeat, of shame, of everything bad and negative and dark becomes at the same time, without changing its shape, everything triumphant, everything redemptive, everything good. And we take that cross, that instrument that was once an instrument and sign of everything bad, and we adorn it in our churches. We put flowers around it and we hold it up and we come and we sing before it and venerate it and bow before it because it becomes now not just an instrument of death. It still remains that, but an instrument of death that is at the same time, see both and, a passage 
to life, a symbol, an invincible symbol of victory. In the prayers that we say today, it gives a little example. We say, Rejoice, O life-giving cross of the Lord, paradise of the church and new tree of life, who brings us the joy of an ending glory. Through you the host of demons are driven back, in you the angels in heaven rejoice. And for you, the assemblies of believers are now keeping the fast. O invincible weapon, an impenetrable stronghold, pride of bishops and scepter of kings, grant that we may now contemplate the passion of Christ and his holy resurrection. Rejoice, O first created couple, whom the jealous enemy made fall from on high by the bitter pleasure of eating from the forbidden tree. Behold, the new tree of life draws near. Hasten to embrace it in joy. And let your cry of faith rise up. O precious cross, you are our help and protection. Your fruit brings us immortality, the promise of paradise and great mercy. You notice in that prayer, and this comes from the Vesper service for the Sunday of the Great Fast, in other words, at the Vigil Vesper service on Saturday evening, it mentions Adam and Eve, makes reference to them, and it says that through the tree they fell, and yet through the new tree life draws near. They are redeemed. So once again, the tree becomes the instrument of downfall and at the same time, both and, the instrument of redemption. Now let's look at the Virgin Mary. When we see portrayals of the Virgin Mary, especially in movies, religious movies, especially this time of year, they often portray her in a very human portrayal. Yes, she was human, but she was a very, very special human. Remember, she was spared from original sin, which means she had to have been different. She had to experience reality the same, yet at the same time differently. For example, she gave birth to a human person, but the human person was also God. And she gave birth, yet remained a virgin, both and. Not just a virgin, or not just not a virgin and a mother, but a mother who remained a virgin. And whenever we see these portrayals of her, especially when she was at the cross, they show this tremendous grief. She's a grief-stricken mother. Yes, she is that. But oftentimes, these portrayals fall short. They're a little bit either-or in their portrayal. I would like to submit to you a better portrayal, one that comes from the Eastern spirituality especially, and in the liturgical tradition at this time, where the Mother of God is portrayed, yes, with all the grief of a grieving mother. In fact, we have a beautiful, heart-wrenching Lenten hymn called The Grieving Mother. But also at the same time, a queenly mother, a woman of great dignity who has resigned and accepts the fate of her son, who she knows 
is carrying about the mission of redemption. In fact, in the way the icons portray the mother of God at the foot of the cross, unlike a lot of the Hollywood movies, is the mother of God is standing there, one hand on her face, representing her grief, but the other hand in a gesture of receptivity to Christ's mission, resignation to it, and pointing towards it. In other words, leading us to this great mystery. It's both and the grief of a mother. And you can imagine the tremendous grief of a mother watching so innocent a son treated so poorly. At the same time, the resignation of the queen of heaven who knows very well what is happening here on the cross, that humanity is being saved by the lofty mission of her son, who is at the same time the son of God. Life is lived in the both and. And it is the liturgy of the church, especially on Sundays like today, that immerse us in that marvelous mystery. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L C O O K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.